0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome or welcome back to the JKWD podcast. We hope you are having a wonderful day. We are having a wonderful day because we just had a conversation with Kristen Donnelly, one of the good doctors of Abbey Research. Abbey Research? Research? I don't know why I forgot where to put the emphasis on on research. (laughs) Research. emphasis (laughs) it's there it's is how you doing today
1: sound like research it's all right yeah i'm doing great man um having a having a great time um marveling at the weather we've been having come through here because it's been a little weird Oh yeah, you've had some crazy stuff there. We've huh? had some crazy stuff. Yeah, we up in the nineties, and it was sixty six this morning. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird. But yeah, life's good. I'm I'm healthy so far as I know, and um, enjoying enjoying life. Come well, on. we haven't had either of those two temperatures lately.
0: <laughs> we've we've been steadily between like you know low of seventy three, high of eighty eight, and that's it.
1: It's good for all that running
0: right in there. Well, I got to tell you the first year I did the, the half marathon here, uh, they turned the marathon around when it got up to 73. So if that shows you what good running weather is, (laughs) Um, they said that it's too hot and and they actually wound up had Mm that. Hello words. They wound Mm -hmm. up having two people die actually that day. Um, they were both half marathoners though. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, it, they just, they, they weren't prepared, I guess one, one of them actually had, had passed at home, uh, a few hours Sorry. after the race, he passed at home a few hours after the race. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah,
1: uh,
0: also goes to training, right? Yeah. Anyway, uh, we are brought to you today by Vitamin K Daily. Get your daily dose of positive from the Prince of Positive himself, Kevin P. Ringold senior. First thing I read every day. That is you. That's How me. You like them yeah. apples. <laughs> 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 Who showed up with a different virtual background today than than he's been rocking? Oh,
1: yeah, I did.
0: Yeah. a uh, bit more of a, a bit more of my kind of view. Clouds over the sea.
1: Yeah, who knows? Maybe I'm, uh, maybe I was trying to cool down from all that heat that was out here. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, Man,
0: put yourself on the beach as uh, as best you can. Right? Here we go. We go. <laughs> on a so vitamin goes. K daily is the first thing I read every day. It shows up at three thirty a.m., which is before I wake up. Occasionally it's a little before I go to bed, but we try to keep those days down. Uh, it's been a while actually since it's beaten me uh, since I got in it before I went to bed. That's mm. how I knew I was up too late, but uh, I've, I've managed to I remember those stories. <laughs> yeah. It shows up at three thirty every morning. That's Eastern time. So depending on where you are, it'll most likely beat you awake unless you're in like Australia uh, or or the UK even, because you know, you'd be close there,
1: I guess. sometimes There are sometimes. A, few, that, they're, they're a few off, yeah.
0: Yeah. But it lets you know how awesome your day is going to be, how to have a positive outlook on your day, gets you started right. Get four weeks free at vitaminkdaily.com. That's vitaminkdaily.com. And like I said, our conversation today is with... Kristen Donnelly, one of the good doctors of Abby Research, we talk about empathy, we talk about how to have conversations, we talk about how to people better. She presents us with a challenge at the end, and that's for you as well. I'm gonna shut up now. We're playing some music. At the other end, you'll actually hear us talking to Kristen. <laughs> Podcast where we talk about better humanhood and teach you how to dominate your world. You ready? Here we go. Uh, so normally, what we do is we start by, uh, you know, once not you uh, introduce yourself to our audience? I mean, they got the same Google I do, so we don't need to we don't need to read your you know, read your website bio, but tell us your your mission and uh and why that's your mission and uh, i'd be
2: delighted to a big part of my mission which is that i'm an empathy educator and i deeply believe that curiosity can help us all be better humans and deeper humans and i and I don't know in a lot of ways my entire life is about helping people human better Uh, and a big part of why that is is that I grew up in a family with a mission statement and we've owned a manufacturing company for a lot of years and now own a larger network of companies and the mission statement of my family is to impact lives and create wealth and that wealth is emotional physical financial spiritual social like the whole like helping people be deeper humans And so as I've moved through my life and gotten a couple postgraduate degrees and I have a doctorate in sociology and studying how people work together and how people, how what they believe about themselves and the world affects how they live with other people, I've realized that the place I can serve the planet best is to educate about empathy. It's to take complicated concepts that are overwhelming to a lot of people like systemic racism or um, or the idea of misogyny and that word and what that means and break it down to actionable items that people can do every day to f- to live differently, to combat those things. Uh, And so that's pretty much every day what happens. Day to day, I do it with my business partner, Aaron Hinson. We are both PhDs, so we call ourselves the good doctors of Abbey Research. (laughs) And we spend a lot of time on YouTube and Instagram um, and our website, helping people see the world through the lenses of others.
0: So Uh why don't we start off by... um... Going straight to straight to empathy. Uh, what is your def- definition of empathy, and how do we get more of it?
2: Well, that's the sixty-four thousand dollar question. The the my definition is that empathy is activated understanding. So okay. it's not it's it's a posture that you live your life with. It's a disciplinary action that you do all the time. And understanding somebody is not condoning their beliefs, agreeing with their actions, approving of their thought processes. It's simply saying that your worldview is yours and not mine. And mine is mine and not yours. And I can hold these things in tension because I'm an adult and developmentally I'm allowed to, I'm able to do that. And so um, <laughs> that's that's a lot of that, of what the definition of empathy is. How to get more of it in your lives to, one of the ways that we talk about is intentionally encountering the stories of others so let's say your entire friend circle kind of all is based around that you all play on the same sports team
0: Mm.
2: well it would be really easy to assume that everybody is the same well they're not so you could get to know people on a on a deeper level but maybe you really want to know more about you know for instance as we record this there's they keep finding mass graves of indigenous children in Canada. And maybe you're sitting in, um, you know, somewhere else in the world and you're like, I really want to know more about these residential schools in Canada. And I don't know any indigenous Canadians. I don't know any Canadians. Well, the internet is a beautiful thing. And there's lots and lots of ways to encounter stories. There's podcasts, there's documentaries, there's Ted talks, there's books. And so intentionally seeking out the stories of others And so your worldview expands to include their stories. And that's a a constant and a lot of that, I'll be honest, is a lot of unlearning things, especially being an American. I feel like a huge part of being a socially aware American is unlearning everything we were taught in high school about (laughs) what America is. Um, And that's the same around the world. I lived in Northern Ireland and a lot of people have to unlearn what they were taught there, too. Like, that's just the adulting project is to unlearn what you were taught often as a child um but around empathy we live in such a beautiful time where it is not hard to encounter the stories of others it requires intentionality because the algorithms don't want us to but it's not difficult
0: yeah you really spoke to something like right away when you started that that it's so it's so hard for us it seems to allow other people to hold a different view than we do. And I don't know when this happened. Like, I feel like, like, I feel like when I was in high school and even in college that we could have those discussions and we could disagree and that was fine. And I don't know if it was the introduction of social media and that algorithm you talk about and that algorithm, I don't think came along with social media initially that I, you know, I, I feel like I had those discussions on social media when it was first introduced as well. And then something else took over, but I'm not sure when we lost that ability to just disagree with someone.
2: There's a lot of answers to that question. And one of them is that we've actually never had the ability to disagree with anybody We just tended to be in circles where you weren't pushing against some of the harder stuff. Um, And, or not, and that's not necessarily Mm. potentially your experience, Josh, but that's kind of human experience. Mm. Humans tend to, we have a very natural tendency to assume everybody agrees with us about how we see the world. So you'll be in a group of people that you assume are very similar to you and you'll make jokes And the other person might not agree with you at all, but they're going to laugh because they don't want to bring it up because humans are also conflict-averse. So one answer is that we've actually never been good at at having difficult conversations. The other answer is definitely the social media piece. I love social media. I'm on all of them except for TikTok. I think they're super fun. I've lived all over the world, and this is the only way I can keep track of most of the people I love. Hmm. However, the algorithm makes money on anger. The algorithm makes money on divisions. This is especially true on Facebook and therefore now on Instagram because Facebook owns Instagram. And so the the data that we see, especially from around 2013 to 2017 in terms of advertising, Mm -hmm. is that it preys upon people's fears. On top of all of this, there's been a lot of global and social and economic upheaval since, especially since 2008 in the United States and in a lot of other Western worlds. And when people are scared of anything, even subconsciously, they'll double down on the things they think they're sure about.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: The other thing, and we just need to call it out, is that we had a presidential campaign in 2015 that spent a lot of time telling a group of people that other people were to blame for all of their problems. And the rhetoric of, of... the rhetoric of Trump's campaign contributed to an inability, especially within the United States, to have conversations Um, and it instead imbued many individuals on every single item and side and a belief that um, other people were to blame for the things they were stressed about. And that's never great. It is how you win elections. But it's never great for social, for social cohesion. We all have to understand that everybody, nobody causes many of these problems except for the systems. So let's stop fighting each other and let's dismantle systems. Um, and then also you have to take responsibility for your own choices. And, and that, but, but again, how you win elections is to gather a group of middle class, middle aged, middle income voters, paint a picture of a, of a reality that never actually existed, but they think did. And then point to a group of other people and say, you can't have that because of them. Everybody does it on every, like, that's how you win elections. And so because we had very, very contested elections, while Facebook was doing all of these algorithmic things, and then we went, then a couple years later, I mean, and we had Brexit in the UK, and we had Bolsonaro's election, and we had a lot of things, kind of a lot of the world, um, that people started to get angrier and angrier and angrier um, that it, it is it is very possible that even though we never really had the ability to begin with, we've also lost it more. <laughs> and I think then the pandemic didn't help anything because you cannot have these conversations typing. And most of us ended up having relationships can't. entirely through Discord and Twitter and Facebook. And these conversations are not to be done without facial expressions and tones of voice.
1: Hmm. You uh, you sound a bit like a communicator.
2: <laughs> well, I certainly <laughs> try to. I I, I I certainly I certainly hope I do. But. but
1: you know, I remember a time. I mean, I I do remember a time when now I, I wasn't standing in the middle of the street uh, screaming virtually anything, but I could talk to people about things we did not have in common. And, and have a conversation and still remain friends for the most part, um, unless they were really, really crazy. But that, I mean, having it leave is one thing. Having to take a rocket ship off the planet is a whole yeah. different concept.
2: <laughs> it definitely, and, yeah. I mean, no, you can't. I, I'm not trying to say it didn't accelerate in the last bunch. Oh of yeah, years.
1: because yeah. I mean, like with the whole race relations thing. I mean, I've been black near as I can tell you know, all my life. So
2: <laughs> it is tends to be how it works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah it's like yeah. that.
1: So and 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 there's a lot of there's a lot of strife out there. There's a lot of problems that I've never, you, you know, that are headline news that I've never experienced personally. Right. And and I integrated a school system in in, in Maryland in nineteen sixty six. Um well, not personally, but you know, the the one you
2: were part of that but, you were you were among that generation. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. So and I, I mean, like and you just I mean you can't even have a conversation anymore. You can't even discuss it. I'm fairly open minded guy. But there's just people we don't have I mean I remember things that we used to laugh at. The social, you know, Saturday Night Live and a lot of the humor that used to come up over there um, and and several shows, there were shows that got great on actually the humor of the uh, the problems, right? And now we can't even say it. We can't even go back and listen to the reruns because they can't play. They'll destroy the world.
2: It's One of the tendencies of the human race is to do pendulum swings between social movements and social Mm -hmm. opinions. And we see this a lot in the last, you know, 50 years of how America has worked like the 60s were really everything was permissible. So then once the people that were everything was permissible in the 60s got in power in the 80s, nothing was permissible. And we're not really good with moderation (laughs) as a species. We're not good with idea moderation. We're not good with uh, ingesting things in moderation. We're not innately moderate. And we tend to react pretty emotionally. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And one of them, to be frank, is that most of us are not taught to be in touch with our emotions. So we get, like, really overwhelmed. And we actually don't know why we feel the way we feel. But we just react immediately. We get defensive. And we react immediately. So all of that is true. And then in the last bunch of years, you've got a lot of media that makes its money on you clicking on a link. Oh. And so we, we we distilled a lot of these very complicated concepts that are best talked about at barbecues and at family reunions and in relationships over a, over a beer at the pub into links you share with your friends that confirm what you already believe about the world.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And unless you intentionally are like, oh, you know what? That BuzzFeed article just needs me to read it so that I get the adverts. It's not necessarily the way to see the world. Unless, unless you realize you know, how money has changed hands in media and in social media and in everything else in the last bunch of years, it can just feel like everything's getting more, more either terrible based on how you see the world. And I think that's the question that we get the most, to be honest, is has the world always been this bad? And my answer is yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Like,
2: yes, it has. It absolutely yeah. has.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, it may not have been as bad for your gender, sex, or racial group. Mm-hmm. But it has always been this bad. Um, I re- remind people all the time that when my grandmother was born in 1911, women did not have the vote in the United States. Mm-hmm. Like, it's I don't want to go back to the days of yore. The days of yore were not great if you if you possess a uterus. So I'm good with a little bit more now, and like we still have we still have work to do on that front. And so this is all a very very messy way to say that a big part of the problem mm-hmm. is that in our hyper-speeded world of clickbait and headlines and no one has time to digest information anymore. We have taken these very, very complicated, racism is complicated. Gender is complicated. Sexuality is complicated. How we handle the rights of indigenous folks after we've stolen their land is complicated. And we've taken it all and pretended that it's a 500 word blog post. Mm -hmm. And because we're not very trained anymore as people, um, to sit with difference and to sit with dissonance, we just reject what doesn't make sense to us mm-hmm. and choose to continue to absorb what we agree with. And it's been, I know I have folks that study the education system that there's a lot to do with no child left Behind in the United States and the choices to teach to the test mm-hmm. instead of teaching teaching. And I can tell you as when I did college classes, I've seen a difference in the last ten years about people's comfort level with abstract thought and their comfort level with making their own creative decisions instead of just being told what you need to learn to get a a good grade on a test. Mm -hmm. I see the difference in employees as an employer. So as we kind of As we kind of continue to quantify everyone's human experiences, we don't leave room for stories as much. So a big part of my work is to reclaim stories and curiosity. So there's a huge kerfuffle, as we talk right now, about critical race theory. And there's a lot of people I see on Twitter that are weighing in that I can tell have no idea what critical race theory is. They have (laughs) absolutely no idea.
1: I was having that conversation with somebody yesterday and they were talking about, it. they were learning that. And I said, first of all, take away everything you've heard about it because that's yeah. not what it's talking about. Nope. That's not what it's saying. And it's not new. This is not nope. something they just came up no, with this. to say, uh, you know, this yeah. is how we're going to destroy your world. This is uh, just a, a, a um, an explanation an of what exists.
0: Yeah. And I, I've, I've decided that, If you can't give me a a dictionary definition of critical race theory, if you can't tell me that it's an academic framework seeking to explain the racism inherent in society, if you you can't give me something simple like that that isn't slanted, it's just… Just tell me what it is. Yeah. If you can't tell me what it is, I'm not interested in the conversation with you. Yeah. Cause they don't have a, clue. cause we get to start somewhere.
2: <laughs> we have to start somewhere and we have to call spades spades and say, this right, we have to what start.
0: Right. We ha- exactly. We have to be talking about the same thing.
2: Absolutely. In and order
0: that, to have the discussion.
2: Totally. And that has been what is stolen from so many of us.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, I mean, you talk about problem solving, we're missing nuance. We're missing, we're missing so much of it right now. Um, you talked about dismantling system, and I know one of the things that, you know, I I think is a problem is our kind of de facto two party system. You know, j- just like you talked about in the 2015 election, not just the 2015 election, obviously it's you know, it's always a struggle to tell you know, you're you always going to have the people who vote Democrat, and you're always going to have the people who vote Republican, and it's always a fight to to let those like 10 percent of people who are willing to go back and forth. Um, they did it. No, they did it. No, they did it. No, they did it, and it's always a, it's always a fight over that. And you uh, know how do we how do we attack systems, not just that system specifically, but but in general? How do we where do we start with with looking at systems and you know what seeing I really what appreciated about
2: this You're asking all really easy questions. (laughs) So (laughs) so the first thing that I will say is that I've lived in countries that don't have two party systems that have Uh the same problems we have. So in Northern Ireland, on the on the on the average ballot, there's nine political parties. OK. And there's still the behavior of a two party system. And and that's and, you know, and in England, there's three big ones that really kind of fight for Mm -hmm. power we still have the same conversation about about liberals and conservatives so i think that I don't know how to fix the American system. My whole, in terms of that system, the electoral system, I think the Electoral College needs to go away from all the research I've done. And I listen to very smart people who tell me that it's a problem and very smart people that understand a lot of things say that some of this is America's just too damn big and we have to figure out different ways to govern it, but we're never gonna do that. So, you know, we're just gonna keep putting band-aids on bullet holes for a little while. So I don't know how to do that. But what I do know is that the only way the world has ever changed is curiosity that leads to stories and questions of what if it could be different? What if it can be, what if, what if, I mean, America started on what if we didn't have to pay tax on our tea that we don't have representation for? Mm -hmm. What if we were free? What if we could do this? What if, and one of the keys to, I'll say this like in, in the global economy in global economics, one of the ways to become a superpower, which I'm making a face for the listeners because i don't like, what the hell does that mean? But <laughs> is to have innovation within your economic system. And I think it's the same for social systems. I think to have innovation in your social system is also next level humaning. So how do we dismantle the system? Well, let's, let's take gender, for instance. How do you dismantle the entire system of patriarchy and misogyny? Great question. You can't you doing a top down approach is going to get frustrating. So you pick a thing. Well, one of the ways is that is that the average um, indigenous woman right now makes forty nine cents to the dollar for the equivalent job of a white man. Forty nine cents to the dollar. That's fixable. Let's start there. So let's let's start with a gender pay gap or, you know, what's really, really challenging with that that patriarchy does right now is that there's a tax on tampons and sanitary pads as though they are optional entities. They're not. They're absolutely mandatory. So let's get rid of that tax. That's a way to do it. So you look at the ways the system plays out Mm -hmm. and you attack it enough times that it doesn't maybe have as much power or it shifts. Now, I'm somebody who doesn't believe we're ever going to dismantle. Patriarchy or systemic racism or anything like that on a whole scale, because humans are humans, and I don't know if we can evolve in some ways. But I do think we can make a difference, and I do think we can make it better, and I do think we can live better. Because I've seen, because we look at history, it's happened. Like slavery, I, I,
1: I, I, I saw it coming along, and then I was, I, probably, I'm not sure how long ago, I'm saying to myself, "I thought we had this fixed. What happened?"
2: and that's fair that's a question
1: a lot of folks are asking wow and i'm like well
0: and the i mean the answer to that might be the answer to that might be no we fixed some aspects of it and they told you the whole thing was fixed and 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 now we can attack other things and and you know some of this you know some of the you know dismantling some of the change is is not going to be in our lifetime some of the you know change that starts now you know starts with, you know, bringing younger generations up with, you know, a little better than we were. And then they're going to have to bring younger generations up a little better than them. And, And, you know, best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago, right? Next best time is now.
2: Is now. And that's one of the things that I think the mistake that we've made in the past, Kelvin, to, to say to what you just kind of spoke to is that once we achieved a victory, we did tell everybody we achieved the whole thing. Mm. Like I can't, I cannot tell you the number of think pieces I read about how because Obama got elected, America's post-racial. Well, that was the biggest lie anybody's ever heard. What? Like, <laughs> like it didn't okay? even, it didn't even make it to the. That, oh God, no! Cows, that's not how this works. Like no. because, like um, I actually just did a, a we we do a series on our video channel called the Colonizers World Tour, where we go around the world and focus on a different country every week and talk about colonization. Mm-hmm. And what it did there. So we just talked about Brazil. Brazil had a female president. So uh, the national narrative a lot is like, oh, Brazil's great with women. Brazil has the highest rate of femicide in the world. Really? Highest rate of femicide in the world. A woman is killed every two hours in Brazil right now in 2021. Wow. So... And this, the UK people are like Margaret Thatcher was elected. Obviously, the UK is really feminist. No, y'all, no. I can tell you that right now. And Margaret Thatcher wasn't a feminist. She was just a woman, and those not just. She was a woman, but not a feminist. And like that's a thing we pretend a lot that fixing that fixing one piece of it is fixing the whole thing. And I let and to to Josh's point and to Kelvin's point, you were told that it was better because it was. It just wasn't done yet. It did get better. It's not. Finished, and there's a there's a great episode of west wing actually where they talk about that if you look at the back of the american dollar bill it's an unfinished pyramid because america is always unfinished we are always figuring it out we are because humans are unfinished and humans are messy and this is a human experiment so we are always learning new things and we are always figuring out we've always been shitty to people and always been wonderful to people this has always been the land of opportunity and the land of oppression it has been both things the whole time and so we as if we can understand that at a deeper level and we can move forward in understanding that some things have gotten better. Amazing. Love it. Like we made inden- we made slavery illegal. That doesn't mean it went away. So what does it look like now? How do we fight it? <laughs> yeah.
1: now? Change faces, but yeah.
2: It changed faces. We we got rid of, you know, indentured slavery as the backbone of the southern economy. Okay. But we didn't get rid of the racism that was the backbone of the southern economy. So, like, it's, it's kind of all of that. It's all of that, which is people get frustrated with me when I say it because folks will ask me questions like, well, what, do, like, how do we solve a systemic problem? And I'm like, pick, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? <laughs> like, pick the thing that, that fires you up the most and chase that till it's done. Then once that's done, find another thing because there will always be another thing.
1: Well, one of the things that I noticed a while back, and I heard a conversation about this years ago, um, basically that that said if if you want to s- stay in power, the thing you have to do is to make things difficult enough that people don't have time to look and see what's going on. Um, and if you keep the people confused and fighting each other, we don't see what the government's doing.
2: <laughs> yep.
1: And and I thought it was, you know, at the time I heard it, I'm like, oh, that's just, uh, you know, that's just, you know, more more riot talk. But fact of the matter is, none of almost none of us have an opportunity to actually know what's going on in the world right now in the news because the new the news can't even tell us what's going on because each station is different. Josh works in the news. Sometimes he won't talk to me about stuff I want to talk about. <laughs>
2: hard. But, I mean, I think you know, on an average day, I get news from 15 different countries that I have to seek out intentionally. And
1: well, I, go, I read the news from England to find out what we're doing in the U.S., really. You know, that's
2: <laughs> It's Yeah. And then I mean, but at the same. So here's the other thing. Here's one of the other pieces of how this keeps working is that we've per, we have perpetuated the myth of objectivity. There is no oh. such thing as objectivity. No such thing. It can't be. Numbers are not completely objective because who's ever telling you about them is telling you about them through their lens and their interpretation. Mm-hmm. The constitution is not objective. The Bible is not objective. Your viewpoint on something is not objective. You are always bringing your worldviews, your experiences, who you are into every single conversation. Mm-hmm. So when I was in academia still, I was I started doing my PhD and I'm, I grew up in the church. I'm a person of faith. I really wanted to study other people of faith. And to have to talk about congregational uh, community is something I was really interested in and how words work within Protestant congregations fascinates Mm -hmm. me I could talk about it forever. So I go to my supervisor who tells me that I can't do that PhD because I won't be objective. And I was like, but, he, and that he could, because he's not a person of faith. I was like, no, you're bringing in your atheist baggage. Like, everybody's got <laughs> baggage. Like, all, right. So the best thing you do is, so the first, like, there were seven pages of my PhD of me laying out everything I am. So here's my marital status and what, and what baggage I'm bringing with that. Here's my faith system. Here's my body and my chronic illnesses. And here's everything you need to know about who is doing this study. So you can take it with all the grains of salt that you need wow
0: yeah you know i tell people when they want to talk about liberal media um, i tell people well look media has no slant like newsprint doesn't care it's just paper it's the people who write the stories and, and 78 and 78% of people who are reporters Report that they have liberal leanings, and yeah, you know, if you 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 can't just force people to to go into the business, you know, to, to even that out. And even if you did, would you read it? You know, w- would you would you read both sides? Because you're not reading both sides now. You know, and there's you know.
2: also not both sides. There's a million sides, mm-hmm. and. Right. There's a lot. And so that's the, so some of this is the words we're using. Like, that's true. It's, we are, we, one of the things that we've retrained ourselves to do at Abbey Research is never actually say both sides. And some of that's our baggage from Northern Ireland because they talk a lot about two communities. There aren't two communities in Northern Ireland. There's at least 50. But if you read every single news report, it'll tell you that in Northern Ireland, the wars between Catholics and Protestants. It's so right. communities. Well, that's not true. It's factually not true. It's, it's subjectively not true. It's not true. And so we've been in, in teaching that. We were both experts in Northern Ireland, have been teaching it for many years after living there as well, Um, we've really seen that in America as well. And so someone will be like, well, on both sides of this issue, and we'll pipe up and be like, you mean all the sides of this issue? Or you mean some of the sides of this issue? Or some of the facets of this issue? And they'll get pissy with us. And it's like, but it changes how you think about it. That's true. It changes. Like, it's an issue is not a coin. It's like a Dungeons and Dragons die. Like, there's a lot of sides there.
0: Yeah, you know, I think about Israel when I think about this because mm, yeah, you, their parliamentary system is set up that if they don't, you, they they have to reach some sort of consensus among multiple political parties. If they lose that consensus, they just vote the president out. Just happened. <laughs> you know, you have a new election. Yeah, uh, you know, and you know, for a while it was happening you know, like once a year. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you know, they wound up with the same two people going back and forth every six months, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then Netanyahu the spent, you know, another four years in there. Uh, but they just, you coming up you, with this two sides, even if you have kind of nuances in the middle or, or on the edges as well, if you're not forced into consensus, then there's no reason to ever give up your, your belief. or you, you
2: No, and I mean, I'll say this too, like the average person needs to hear a new idea seven times before they adopt it, and they generally always have to hear it as a story. So the human brain processes information through stories, even mm-hmm. numbers. People will tell you that the numbers told them a story or the evidence told them a story. Like, so quantitative people still tell stories. And so you need to, this is why conversations are so important is that stories are what changed the world. And it, I sound really trite saying that (laughs) potentially I sound like a walking Hallmark card. That's other criticism I've got, but (laughs) I've been, I've been studying human history for a really long time and I've, I've got some fancy training and what the fancy training teaches me is that it's not just, it's not that we're seeking consensus to move forward. We're seeking consensus and there's times we can't even seek consensus that that's not the goal, but you always seek understanding. And then you can understand somebody and be like, "Mm, not going to do life with you. Now we draw a deep, deep boundary and I say, okay, I'm done here. Because My whole thing on empathy is not an endorsement to do life with toxic people. It's simply a continual endorsement to remind yourself that your way to be human is not the only one.
0: Right. And I think empathy is an interesting, I don't know if we're reading some of the same stuff, but there's a very specific path in the brain that empathy takes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Elkanon Goldberg's work and, you know, Simon Baron Cohen's done a lot of work and James Fallon's done a lot of work in that. And you know, they come up with the same stuff over and over that you can see it. And you can, you can look at a brain scan and kind of predict how a person's going to react in a situation. But, you know, handing me a brain scan and saying, well, you know, this is how Kristen's going to react to, you know, on this call based on her brain scan. Well, that's possible, but I don't get anything out of that until they tell me a story about you or I get to meet you and and have this conversation. Right.
2: It's it's. And the other thing too, is that like, I, I love all sorts of science. I love evidence. I love all of it. And then there's this other piece of me that's like, yeah, but we don't really know what we're doing. Like we don't really like.
0: <laughs> right, all that stuff is all, all that stuff all is correct amazing. until it's not. Yeah. All
2: that's amazing, but our entire lives and our understandings of the world are written in pencil.
1: Yeah, you we're, know, we're, and we're and like making it up as we go along.
2: We are like we the 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 line in scripture that I love so much is we see through a glass darkly. It's it's. I've personally like the mysteries of the universe because if we had had it all figured out and I look around at the human race right now, I'd be really terrified because um, we're not doing a great job. And so if we were the ultimate sources of all wisdom, like, oof, that would be me tapping out of ever trying to do work, but we're not. The universe is older and wiser and bigger and wider and everything else. And it is mysterious. And as, but it reveals itself in certain ways, doesn't it? That's what the other story of human history is, as we learn more and understand more. So like, yeah, the brain scans are great. And there's lots and lots and lots of confirmed data, for sure. But then you're going to meet the one person that totally confounds the brain scans. Or like, we're, you right. know, like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. The person in front of me is what's going on. And uh, yeah, I'm a social worker. And so I should say that too. I, my training always is to know all of the context Context is super important and then drill into the person in front of me and react in real time to what's happening.
1: Say that, say that again. You it, can have it good.
2: <laughs> oh, well, thank you. You can have all the context in the world and context is really important. You should understand somebody. You should understand where they're coming from. You should know the history of their people. But at the end of the day, what matters is drilling into who they are sitting in front of you, loving the person in front of you at every moment, the best that you know how being patient with them, being kind, being generous, listening with your whole body and not just waiting for them to stop talking, deeply embracing and respecting their innate humanness and dignity and worth as a human being. All that matters is the person sitting in front of you.
1: What if you're a total jerk?
2: then you close the conversation politely and you move on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that wasn't it. That wasn't what I expected.
2: <laughs> it's it, I, yeah, I mean, I meet with total jerks every day um, and I meet with misogynistic jerks every day and I meet with racist jerks every day and that's and and ableist jerks and all of that, like we all do. And you, you understand still that they're a jerk, but they're a human and they're doing the best they can in this moment. And maybe their emotional capacity is the range of a teaspoon. And so my practice is just to kind of mentally bless them and ask the universe to expand their humanity.
1: I, I have an uncle who is, um, he's, got, uh, Alzheimer's, he's got Alzheimer's or that's dementia. So hard. Anyway,
2: right? Yeah, that's so hard.
1: So and he, um, And he will call me every once in a while. And he's always got a story. Um, he's being mistreated, he's being abused, um, they're trying to kill him, um, all this other stuff. And a couple of weeks ago, he called me and he was telling me all this stuff. And he's like, well, you know, they're trying to do something because you've never seen me like this. Have you ever seen me like this before? And I said, well, actually, yeah, I have. And he got crazy from there. He ended up saying some rude things to me and leaving. Um <laughs> and then I got another call from him last week and he was so gentle and he just you know it's everything okay I mean you know, just kind of check you sound like you are kind of busy can we do this and then we had a little bit of conversation he says well I just wanted to check in and he says oh oh and uh, and one more thing and uh, I said what's that he said uh, god bless you you know I haven't heard that from him in years <laughs> mm-hmm. and it changed in a matter of a week. So it's like I cannot begin to understand what's going on in his head. Um, I can't validate all of it because because he's believing things that aren't true. Because if 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 they were trying to get rid of him like he said they were, they he'd be gone.
2: (laughs) Sure. Yeah.
1: But but you know, trying to get that message true. And I meet people who, who aren't, they don't have dementia, but they have the same type of problem with having a conversation. Mm -hmm. And when you're trying to have that conversation with somebody who is, you know, reputedly sane and with all their senses, it's, it's a tougher sell. I mean, if somebody has got dementia uh, I'm like, okay, well, you know, there's a there's a bona fide reason for that. There's a there's a physical, there's a medical reason for that. Um, if they're just a jerk, well then, you know, we don't know. Maybe they have the same kind of the, s- the same things, uh, uh, you know, physiologically, in the memories and stuff. But it's it's a tough conversation, and there are people that I won't talk to. We won't have conversations
2: and that's valid. Like and yeah, yeah, to, just- to choose to not have a conversation with somebody or to choose to not be in a relationship with them is not saying that they're not like human or that or you're going against anything I just said not choosing to be in a conversation or a relationship with somebody is a self-preservation tactic and you are just as important as they are. So it's, it's not, I am not saying that everybody needs to hold hands and sing Kumbaya and the world will, the world will heal. But I am saying that most of us actually could get along better than we are right now, if we did a little bit of work. And it's very telling to me that when I say these kind of things, the first question everybody asks was like, well, what if, they go to the really extreme examples like, well, you're not going to ask people of color to be in relationship with the KKK. I was like, did you hear that come out of my mouth? Like, that's not what I said. What I said is that everybody is more complicated than I, than you give them credit for. That's a like, true statement. I,
1: I can send you to a YouTube video where <laughs> I, I forgot the guy's name, but he talked about, you know, a black guy, and he talked. He he was he was uh, in with the KKK. You know, they invited him to meetings as a guest.
2: I mean, well, yeah, Carol I mean, I, uh,
0: Davis has. Uh, <clears throat>
2: Yeah. I mean, I have a friend who is, uh, she's a woman of color and, um, she identifies, uh, she calls herself a black woman and the, her across the street neighbor painted his entire house on a Confederate flag. <laughs> and her, t- her Ted talk is about how she built a relationship with him. That is not something that I can tell other people to do. I would not assume, I would not, I would hope that people would not ask me to be in a relationship with people, for instance, who, you know, want me dead for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not asking relationship understanding are very different things. And there's a, it's telling to me that we are almost, a. there's people, not you guys necessarily, um, or I haven't really heard this, but it from you, but I've heard this from other people, which is this immediate knee jerk pushback on what I'm saying. And I can tell it's out of fear. I can tell it's out of fear. that They have to do more work or that they have to do these things or anything else. And the, my answer to all of that is that the first step for this, the first step to knowing how to talk to your to your relative, the first step to any of this is to also be in good relationship with yourself. And to also like have compassionate conversations with yourself and understand that you are a person of dignity and worth and that you are kind and all, be kind and patient and loving with yourself. And if you can do that, it tends to bleed out into other people. If you're angry all the time at yourself or you're ashamed or your shame is a huge ugly thing. And shame is a huge part of why we can't do relationship together. If you're ashamed of some part of your life, it's going to come out in other relationships that doesn't have anything to do with that other person. It's entirely you.
0: Right.
2: Um, and so as we're learning to hold other people's stories and tension, like there are groups of people Where if you come at me and you say, I identify as blank category, my immediate knee jerk is going to be, I'm going to walk away now. (laughs) And it is a discipline for me not to do that. It's a choice to not do that. Now, if they show me who they are, Dr. Angelou told me to believe them. And so I will, but I'm going to give them a chance to show me who they are. I don't think so I know people, people want me in a room with Jerry Falwell Jr. For instance, that's not going to go well for anybody. So, like, But why? Oh man. But he showed me who he is. So, um, you know, that that's, that's that. Sorry, Josh, I interrupted you.
0: So, yeah. Well, I was going to say we're, we're coming up on time here, but uh, I wanted, uh, if you're willing to present Kelvin and I as, as surrogates for our listeners, but, them as well, but uh, you, you've had this conversation with us, so, um, yeah, you can at least put a face, a couple of faces to it. Uh, I'd like you to present us with a, with a challenge, uh, toward, toward, uh, humaning better as you put it.
2: I would invite you to think of one intersection of humanity, whether that is intersections are the things in your life that make up who you are. So, um, your, does your body work the way society wants it to work? Does your brain work the way society wants it to work? Your, is your, all the kind of ways that you are either in, in normal for society or in other for society. And we all know what that means. As I'm talking, you're running through that list in your head. So what I would encourage you to do is pick one intersection that you are in the center of normal on. So let's mm-hmm. say you are somebody who is, you um, identify as the gender you were assigned at birth great. I'd encourage you to seek out stories of people who do not identify with the gender they were assigned at birth. Let's say that you have a brain that is totally neurotypical and works the way society wants it to work. Amazing. I'd encourage you to seek out stories of neuroatypical folks. Let's say you are a person who has always fit into an airplane seat. I would encourage you to find narratives of fat folks. And so pick one, and do the, whatever the opposite is for you, um, chase that for a little bit, get to know that a little bit and sit with their stories in your own story for a little bit. And then we do this work every Friday in a newsletter um, and also on our YouTube channel all the time. And so if you wanna pursue more of it, definitely find me on any social where at Abby Research, you spell Abby with an E and I'll be happy to keep walking you through the next set of exercises.
0: Great. And we'll be sure to have links to all the social in the show notes. Um, anything that you had hope to talk about today that we didn't get to?
2: No, honestly, the beauty of my work, I'll be really honest, is that I just show up in lovely spaces where I'm invited <laughs> and see where the conversation goes. I'm just so honored to be here. I don't come in with any expectations.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for being here. And we hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and we will shoot you an email when when this goes up
2: amazing thank you so much gentlemen this has been a joy
0: all right you're welcome thank you for us too Coming.
2: okay all the best bye. bye hey
0: thanks for listening show notes and more at jkwdpodcast.com don't forget to subscribe leave a review A Better Humanhood production.